Hello, friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail. I'm here with my co-commissar, Jason. Hey, Jason, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I, I left the dancing to you. I had cherry Coke to drink. Cherry Coke, huh? Well, could you pass me some? Uh, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way over audio. Ah, uh, well, anyway, we have plenty of exciting things that are going to be as bubbly as Cherry Coke on a fresh can, newly opened, just rising to the top because we are almost at baseball season. And here at Zippy the Wonder Snail, as two Christian guys discussing news and culture that matter to you, what could matter to you more right now than the fact that the <laughs> Cardinals are going to be back on the field in St. Louis in just a few days. Wow, here we are. We're all we're all very excited. And of course, I don't know if we should mention this now, but it's the return of Albert Pools. So that's extremely exciting. Maybe I think you should hitter ever. Yeah. You should definitely mention it right now because we almost should have mentioned it before the theme music even started. I mean, it, it, Albert is back. Albert is back. Now, what what is he going to be able to give us? We'll see, but that doesn't matter. Because the band is back together, let's do this. Yeah, I, I mean, can you imagine? I, I just, I want to see what this season looks like with with Yachty on his last year, with Albert back, and still actually contributing significantly. Maybe not anything like what he did ten years ago, but still contributing significantly to the Dodgers last year. I so mean, we have Albert back, and then we have Wayno just doing whatever incredible thing he's doing. I mean, wow. Yeah, I mean, um, Albert did have 17 home runs last year, so it's it's not nothing. So, But the interesting thing, and this will be something to watch for that, um, he's precisely 21 home runs away from 700 for his career. So if he can get to 21, and I, I just have that feeling that he's going to get to that 21, uh, that'll be a wonderful moment to have in St. Louis. Um, Absolutely. And it was it was just really fun to watch those guys do videos for the media um, and talk about being in each other's professional lives again. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a fun year, and I think the Cardinals are ready to go win the thing. I think that's what we're dealing with. You, we have a serious title threat here in St. Louis. Yeah, we, we have the Cubs who have just fallen apart and traded away a lot of their their best players and here we are we have a team that was spectacular at the end of last year with that historic winning streak in September that was just amazing kind of ended on a on a, a sad note at the end but wow what a what a season we saw at the very end of last season and 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 now we're back the the, maybe the the one thing that worries me a little is it still feels like our our pitching is a little bit shaky outside of Wayno. Um, I feel pretty good about the I feel pretty good about the pitching myself. We have the return of Dakota Hudson to the rotation after having Tommy John, and they did sign Stephen Matz, who spent most of his career with the New York Mets, um, and and he's about thirty and he's a solid starter. So his ERA last season. Um, was about three and a half. Uh, so if we got that out of him, um, that would be great. That's that's what we need. We need like a third guy beyond Wayno and Jack Flaherty. And we still have Miles Michaelis. Um, 
and other guys to fill in that role. So I'm excited. I think we're going to be really good in the starting rotation. It's just do they have enough depth now since a lot of that that depth is on the major league club. We have, we have Jake Woodford to fill in if something happens to the guys. We're going we're gonna to be without Alex Reyes for a while, but he should come back in some capacity. So I, I think it's going to be good. We'll see. But I like the team as it's shaping shaping up right now. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, what's your thought on where Flaherty's looking at at the moment? I mean, I know he's had some issues during spring training with concerns about injuries once again. Do you do you think he's going to be able to shake that off and be ready for the season? Well, he has something called, they call it a slap tear, and it's um, it's something where the where the biceps attaches to the shoulder. Um, um, but, but you can pitch with that, and they're not going to do a surgical intervention right now. They think he can pitch through it. Um, let's see. I mean, I don't know. They may end up having to shut him down. Um, but they're going to get another full year out of him uh, before he hits free agency. So even if they have to shut him down this year, we'll have him for 23. Um, and then he'll be... I think he'll be an unrestricted free agent at that point, so that could go anywhere. Yeah, I think I'm still encouraged about what Jack can give us. Yeah, it would be great to see him be able to go full force while we also have Wayno. Hopefully, continuing what he did last year, which was really, I, I, I just don't think Wayno gets enough credit a lot of times. And looking at him at his age, still pitching the way he does, where really, if you think about the team last year, it's hard to imagine it being where it was without Wayno. Um, if he can do that again this year, it's going to be incredible. Yeah, that that's another statistical thing to watch because he has precisely 16 wins from 200 for his career. So if he can get 16, and he got 17 last year. So it's within the realm of possibility. Yes, it would be incredible. But Wayno is, listen, Wayno is the best pitcher never to win the Cy Young Award. So he should have. He should have several times. But when you're in the same league with Clayton Kershaw and then you're in the – the, I'm having a brain fart. Uh, you're in the same league with Tim Lincecum who pitched for the Giants all those years. Um, it's really tough. And Kershaw, Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers has won four of them. So it's – it's just tough to be to be a pitcher right now in the era of Kershaw and in the era of Tim Lincecum. Yes. Uh, and and even back in 2009, let's go back all the way there, Wayno and Chris Carpenter took Cy Young votes away from each other uh, because Wayno had 19 wins and Carpenter had 17 on the same team. Um, and so that that's just what happens in the Cy Young voting. So hopefully he can do that. And he would, he would, if he did what he did last year, he would have consideration for the Cy Young, which I think would only be just even in his final year to win the Cy Young award. That would be such a a wonderful way to to wrap up an amazing career. Although that's the other question, isn't it? Is it going to wrap up his career? Um, I heard an interview, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, in which Wayno indicated he's not ready to say he's retiring yet, for sure. That's true, but I think it would be really hard 
for Bueno to throw to somebody other than Yadi or Molina. And Yadi is certain that this is it. And Albert is certain. So if two of the three amigos are riding off into the sunset, what's the other guy going to do? Although if yeah. he's that effective, like we were just saying, you know, if, if Bueno's flirting with the Cy Young, you know, maybe I wouldn't walk away either. So that's that's a tough call. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be nice for Cardinal Nation if, if in some ways, that he was able to keep going so that at least next year we have one of the legends still still going. It's it's, uh, it's going to be a uh, bittersweet year as we we see those final times with Yachty. And, and, and thankfully, I mean, with Albert, it, it's sort of, well, I mean, as much as I think many of us dreamed about the possibility, the idea that he's actually back, it... it Every time he's going to be at bat, it's going to feel like, "Wow, we this is this is great." But but bittersweet too, because I mean that's a, an amazing career um, that we're going to see wrap up too. Yep, I remember being in the park uh, when Derek Jeter came through with the Yankees, and he didn't play in the game that I was at. But the Cardinals were gracious enough to put his highlights on the board, and and the crowd was cheering. And and they and the crowd was like, "Come on, Derek, come on out of the dugout." And Mister Jeter was good enough to oblige, and it was like he had been a Cardinal for the last twenty years. It was an amazing thing. So I think something similar to that is going to happen with Albert for sure. Yeah, and what a just to have it happen with the Cardinal red on him is just is just perfect. Um, it brings but- me a lot of joy. I agree completely. Yeah, I, I saw the the notification on my phone that uh, sources were saying a deal had been signed, and, and I mean, you and I had even discussed this possibility on a episode of Zippy last fall. That you know, wouldn't it be neat if it could happen? But it, yeah, it, it's just amazing that it is happening, and um, I, it's going to be a great season. I, I can't wait to talk more about it as we go through the season this year. I agree, and I think uh, I think again the universal DH is one of the things that has helped to facilitate all of this. So Yeah. I I, at least. I shall never be pleased that we have the DH, but I am pleased at this result of it at least. Yeah, Albert's been fantastic if you hadn't noticed. Yeah, wow. He is just anyone that thought that we were bringing him on simply for nostalgia and and I, truthfully to myself if I really admit it I would have brought him on just for that, just for the idea of having him finish his career here and finish with Yachty and and finish with Wayno. But but anyone that thought that was the only reason he was going to be here, he's really proving them wrong, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. He's hitting in the three forties right now, and he's driven in a bunch of runs and he's getting a bunch of hits. So hopefully he can keep it up, and and Lars Newtbar and Corey Dickerson can fill in when he needs a break at the DH spot. So. He's been really great, and it's it's hard to argue with anything that he's done so far. Yeah, I I, I feel like it's just going back, and the last ten years didn't even happen. It's back to when Albert comes up to the plate, and just you know it, he's a threat. You know he's going to do exciting things, and and then with the countdown to seven hundred, uh, I, I mean, every single swing of the bat just feels like it has a huge significance, almost like nineteen ninety eight all over again. As of as of this moment, um, he's at six eighty one, um, and I don't know if anything happened, uh, you know, before we started recording this. But he's at six eighty one, and I think he's going to get there. Actually, 
I don't think it's too crazy. Um, not at his current pace. No, not right now. So you you can't throw him anything right now, and it goes for several guys on the team. So good for them. They're just all looking like we saw at the begin- the end of last year, except with Albert in the mix as well, and and then that home opener with with Adam. Uh, what a beautiful game he pitched. Yeah, he he was utterly dominant, and we've seen this a couple of times now with Wayno. Uh, there was one bad game in there uh, that he lost, but um, just actually wonderful. And and he's the best pitcher, arguably he's the best pitcher in the National League right now. End of story. Not even just a feel good story for an old guy, but might be the best pitcher in the National League. So. Again, these old guys are coming in there and getting it done. Uh, Yachty's still working himself into shape, but, you know, you need a spring training when you get in the upper 30s and into the 40s, and they didn't get one. So we'll we'll give Yachty a break on that, and uh, he'll be fine, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. What a just wonderful start to the season. And speaking of seasons, we've come to the end of basketball season, and you've been taking us through that as we went along. And the end of some careers uh, play into that as well. Uh, maybe you'd just like to run us through, Comrade, what's going on as we look back to the end of the NCAA season? Yeah, well, the the uh, the big story was obviously the end of the career of Mike Krzyzewski, uh retiring as the head coach of Duke. So they played in a national semifinal the, um, against North Carolina, their rivals. And they were beaten by North Carolina. But then North Carolina um, came up against University of Kansas in the championship game. Um, and Kansas triumphed. So your national champion for 2022 is Kansas, unfortunately. Uh, I'm from the University of Missouri, so I must despise them as a matter of course. And then uh, the, other, the other team in the semifinal was Villanova. And big news this week, Jay Wright, the head coach of Villanova for the last 21 years, two national titles, several Final Fours, just a great coach and a great person. He's walking away. He's only 60 years old, but he wants to spend time with his family, doesn't want to coach anymore. So um, we'll still be finding out uh, some of the reasons for that. And hopefully Coach Wright is in good health. Um but he, but he leaves Villanova in a very proud place as a program because they're prominent now, and they were not prominent before he came along. So uh, good for Coach Wright. We'll miss him. He's, he's already a – if memory serves, he's already a basketball Hall of Famer. So uh, enjoy the time off, Coach, and do whatever else you're going to do. We wish you the best. So – how do you feel like one of the big questions leading up to Coach K's retirement was just how his story was going to kind of wrap up? And obviously he didn't get to have another championship under his belt. Uh, still, I mean, that doesn't take away from his career. But but what are your thoughts as we look at the end of his career? Yeah, I think with Coach K, he, um, Coach Mike Krzyzewski, he's the greatest coach of all time. Um, over 1,200 wins five national titles. He set a new record for Final Fours. Um, I believe it was the 13th Final Four that he appeared in with Duke just this last time. 
So uh, nothing to be ashamed of. And, and actually, he was quite proud, as he said, that that particular group of guys was able to, to get to the Final Four because uh, they were young and pretty inexperienced and made a lot of mistakes early in the season. Worlds of talent. Their point guard, Paulo Bancaro, is going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft later this summer. So obviously Duke has talent. They always have talent. But it takes more than talent to win a college basketball game. And nobody knew that better than Coach K. So again, over 1,200 wins, five national titles, 13 Final Fours, numerous conference championships, conference tournament championships, yada, yada, three Olympic gold medals for the United States as a coach. So he's the greatest, and I'll miss him, and I'll probably cry at some point about it. But he went out proud, and he, he went out emphatically. Um, and, and that game against Carolina was a legitimate classic. The score finished 81-77, to 77, and it was a game for the ages. So if Duke was going to go out, and if Coach K was going to go out, might as well be Carolina, their great rivals, North Carolina. So I'm not, I'm not sad about that part. I'm proud of what he's accomplished, and so he should be. Uh, we're just going to miss him, and there will be a big hole in, in men's college basketball. But uh, John Shire... Uh, will be the new head coach. He played at Duke um, early in this century. So he'll, I think he, what is he, like 38 or something? He's pretty young. Uh, and he'll take over. And then Coach K will be an ambassador for the university, uh, which befits him. He's not really going to just ride off into the sunset. He's just going to do other things for the university. Nice. So good for Coach and Good for a lot of these guys. Roy Williams is also a great coach who finally said goodbye after a long and distinguished career, um, ending up at Carolina but starting his career at Kansas. So a lot of these guys um, did a lot for college basketball, and we'll miss them. Well, we'll have to see how the new season with some of these new guys turns out. But in the meantime, of course, as we talked about, we're right in the heart of baseball season, and you can count on Zippy to be journeying through that season with you and keeping you apprised of all the wonderful things happening, especially as it just has to be that this year is the year that the Cardinals will go and win another World Series title and bring one home for Albert and Yachty and Wayno. Um, that just has to happen. Oh, I agree. Let's make it happen. Okay, well, our next story is about Twitter, or more perhaps about Twitter's most visible user of the day. I mean, ever since Donald Trump was uh, banned from Twitter, I'm, it's hard to think of anyone that sort of is the Twitter person like Elon Musk. And now Musk wants to actually buy Twitter. Yeah, that's right. And then they... they uh... They introduced kind of a poison pill to prevent him from getting the shares. Uh, and then he's he's trying to have a workaround, trying to go directly to the other shareholders and have them sell their shares to him. And we'll see how that goes. 
But like you were saying, um, a lot of things that Elon Musk does seem impossible, and that's what other people claim, and then he pulls it off. Um, so I don't have a particular fondness for eccentric billionaires, um, but I know we're both uh, really impressed with Tesla in some ways, and I know we're really, really both of us impressed with SpaceX. So this is an interesting guy, a brilliant guy, a motivated guy, and I wouldn't put anything past him necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about Musk, I, I find him much more intriguing than than most of our present billionaire set that's out there. Uh, you know, most of them are are what you expect. They, they've made a lot of money. They like to take all that money and live quite comfortably. I don't blame them for that. It's, you know, it's fine. Uh, but, you know, maybe buy a few pet project type companies, that sort of thing. Elon Musk, and I'm certainly not the first one to make this comparison, but I just can't help but think that he's the closest thing we have to a living, breathing Iron Man. If you think about um, that character and the idea of someone who has uh, both huge sums of money and the desire to use that money to accomplish things. And maybe he's not investing it all in charity. We could probably say, well, wouldn't it be nice if you did this or that, all, all these sorts of things. But he isn't really just interested in taking that money and making more money. He's really seemingly focused constantly on, even if it's his own pet projects, genuinely doing big things with his money. He, it, it reminds me of when Steve Jobs talked about wanting to make a dent in the universe. Uh, you know, Musk doesn't seem to be satisfied living a normal billionaire's life. He he gets a bunch of money and then he does something like, you know, he gets stuck in traffic and doesn't like being in traffic. So he, he creates a tunnel boring company called the boring company of all things. And <laughs> for, yeah. for a long time, it wasn't even clear if he was serious because he was referring to a company called the boring company. He thought this is just one of Musk's antics. But no, he actually has a, a, a tunnel boring company now that's commercially boring tunnels underground in different cities. And so, you know, it, it's just, uh, whether it's it doesn't launching sound boring to me, no, no, it doesn't, does it? And have you seen the videos, uh, comrade of, of the, the Tesla tunnel they have going under the Las Vegas convention center? I have not. I should look that up. Oh, it's, it's we'll have to put it in the show notes. It's so fascinating because this, you know, the convention center, I've never been there, but I think it's like three miles long. And so traditionally, yeah. if you're in one of these big expos like the Consumer Electronics Expo or that sort of thing, you might be on one end of the convention center. And if you want to get to the other end, you go and take public transportation like you're going someplace else in the city, basically. Well, now there's a tunnel underneath the convention center that, that Musk's boring company has bored um, that has several different stops. And you can hop on a Tesla that self-pilots through the tunnel to the next stop. And uh, it does this light show in the tunnel while you're you're going through it. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's the sort of thing that only Elon Musk would do. Right. That, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I wanted to say he reminds me um, of, uh, he reminds me of a fictional character. Have you ever seen or read the book Contact by Carl Sagan? I have not. Um, well, there's an eccentric billionaire in in that story, uh, S.R. Haddon, and he's the one who puts forward the money to, to make that project go forward in that story. And it's it's just very res- reminiscent of S.R. Haddon. Um, hmm. 
and uh, so you should watch it. It's a good movie. Um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't deal with uh, I would say science and faith in the best way, but it's at least mildly thought provoking along those lines as well. Interesting. So, um, and it and it's another it's another Jodie Foster vehicle. So she's definitely not hurting herself. You know the multi. Um, Academy Award winner Jodie Foster, so yeah. uh, that's worth watching all the time. Um, so, yeah, you should check that out. Contact. I have to. It was a film in '97 that had a, a really big all-star cast as well. So, yeah, I remember hearing about it, just not seen it. Um, I'll be interested to see the character you say parallels Musk to Musk. I think is just fascinating, and, and I think that. To come back to where we started on him, intrigues me about the idea of him purchasing Twitter um, for a couple of reasons. One of which that I, I really appreciate from him, and I think is essential to electronic communication going forward, is Musk is what he terms himself a free speech absolutist. And when we look at how we're in a world now that we're so dependent on this technology, um, I appreciate that he seems to be pretty consistent that he has his own principles, some of which I agree with, some of which I don't, but he is of the opinion that communications platforms should enable communication, even if he doesn't personally agree with it. And that's certainly a principle of free speech in general, um, but all the more important online as we move into an era where we're utterly dependent on it. So there's that aspect I think that could be interesting. Um, the other thing though, is that we've seen sort of the life cycle of social networks. It seems like they start out, they're interesting. I I remember being on Facebook when it first started, it was fresh. It was, it was enjoyable. It did what it did well. And now we have this thing uh, and all of us kind of use Facebook and tolerate it, but I don't talk to anyone and they say, I just love being on Facebook anymore. And we've seen the risk of that, I think, with Twitter, because, you know, the stockholders are saying, how can we extract more value out of Twitter? And inevitably, I think it's going to be the same thing that we saw with MySpace, the same thing that we saw with Facebook, something that we've also been seeing with Instagram, uh, where there's this pressure where for the short term, you can make it produce more profit, but it doesn't actually produce uh, anything that people are going to want to use long term, because eventually it just becomes obnoxious. And the sort of man who can take a company that has just a theory about sports, uh, electric sports car and can turn it into a mass producing car company, which I mean, you can count probably on your fingers and toes, how many people have successfully done that at a global scale in history. I mean, they just don't, there aren't that many long-term successful car companies. The sort of person who has that kind of long-term vision and can kind of go through all the pain of something that doesn't immediately produce profit because you see something better you're going to create that will produce profit down the road, all that sort of stuff. If he applies that kind of vision to Twitter, I could see Twitter actually becoming quite a bit better. Yeah, we, we've talked a little bit about um, about free speech in the age of social media before. Um, and I agree with you, there are a lot of fraught issues because others are saying, well, no, you're just, you're just facing, you're facing consequences for your speech you're not being censored but given given that they're so ubiquitously used and if you can't use facebook and twitter and instagram and some of the other ones then you don't have an online presence right now i think 
that's where it crosses a, a little more into, okay, is this journalism, you know, is this facilitating citizen journalism, even, even though some of it is really bad. So right. some, some free speech absolutism would be welcome as long as we still had the ability to um, craft the experience that we want um, as users. And yeah. we may not necessarily ha- have uh, that yet, um, but it's something we should be working to working toward. And, um, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, bad. Cut this out. Um, okay. Um, free speech, absolutism, uh, facing consequences for your speech. Um, oh, and about the negative effects of social media usage and how some of the com- companies like Facebook have been aware of the negative effects on people's brains with prolonged usage. Um, and they did it anyway. Um, so where does that come into play? How does how does the common good come into play? Um, uh, you know, physical health, mental health, and what will Musk, um, as this big influencer with this great wealth, how will he contribute to those discussions or possibly detract from those discussions? So those are all really interesting questions. Yeah. And we don't have answers. We don't have answers on this show. We just throw interesting things out and, and hopes people smarter than us come up with answers a lot of times. We may not know unless he succeeds and actually does what he does, because you never quite know what Musk is going to do. Um, but one thing we can say is that he certainly is a prolific user of Twitter, so he understands it as a tool, which is good. And, and like you said, I mean, I'm a little nervous about the idea of Twitter being a place of absolute free speech, because we've seen some of these free speech social networks crop up, and they're usually just hateful. Um, But at the same time, there is something, and I'm a strong advocate also of private companies being able to do what they want to do as far as what speech they allow through their platform. I think that's part of uh, private property. And so I I don't begrudge necessarily Twitter or anyone else banning certain users or, or some such. But I think Musk might have the possibility of bringing a more consistent approach to it. Um, you know, it's been noted that, for example, Donald Trump and a lot of his uh, associates are now banned from Twitter, but Vladimir Putin and many of the Russian associates of Vladimir Putin are not. And there's something terribly uh, out of sync with that, that, you know, we've had a lot of people that are are incorrectly labeled uh, Hitlers in the world over the, I mean, pe- people toss around that term all the time inappropriately. But if we're looking for anyone who's an analog to Hitler in the last year since Hitler was alive, uh, with the exception of Joseph Stalin, I mean, clearly he was a good good comparison if you can use the word good there. Um, But Putin is doing a very good job of attempting to become the modern Hitler. And the genocide that we're seeing in Ukraine is very much along those lines. And so, you know, should he be... should he be allowed to post on Twitter? Should the Russian government under his thumb be allowed to post on Twitter? Those are, are challenging questions, but I do think there's something problematic about Twitter's current approach where it allegedly is enforcing decency policies while Russia is allowed to use Twitter as a mouthpiece that actively 
denies the existence of the genocide that it's doing. Right. And, and again, you know, neither of us are, are strong partisans. I think right. would recognize that if they listen to the show, but you and I both agree that if there's a, a socio-cultural, socio-political thrust or direction um, that all this, for lack of a better word, censorship is coming from, and it always goes in one direction, and it, it lacks this perspective that you're talking about, then you start to get legitimate, okay, this is, you know, this is political regulation of speech, even if it's not being done by the government, you know. And, and so question, questions will come in there, and that's fair. I will say in a joking manner, maybe you shouldn't say the name of the 45th president. It's like saying Voldemort on the show. <laughs> like you, <laughs> What are you doing? Um, no, just kidding. No, you have to I, I'm just trying to follow first. Dumbledore's example. <laughs> but... But it's right, you know, perspective has to come in here somewhere. And look, Vladimir Putin is really, really evil. You know, right up there with Idi Amin and all the other monsters of decades past. And if we can't, uh, if we can't recognize that and do a fair comparison, then, uh, then maybe the supporters of the 45th president have a really good point. So, uh, and and that's just a small fragment of the issue. But again, if if speech is regulated in one direction, um, and there's a chilling effect as to what issues can be discussed in the public square because of the influence of large companies and, and ide- preferred ideologies, uh, then then we have a problem um, in our uh, classically liberal society. So those are ongoing yes. issues. Um, I, once again, I make you sound uh, more left-wing than you are, but oh well. Uh, yes, so um, definitely something I think that uh, you know we need to watch, and we'll see what Musk can do, and whether he can somehow balance the different questions around Twitter, if he's allowed to make that purchase. But I have to say, based on what I'm seeing right now, I don't think it will be worse for where if he does. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what, what Musk is able to do. Yeah. So Tim, we're, uh, we're still in a pandemic. COVID is still going on and you wanted to talk about the upcoming booster shots and things related to that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of funny. This, this uh, last week or so has been kind of a weird time in pandemic life. Here we are, we're past the two year mark now. Had lots of people reminiscing a week or two ago about what it was like right before everything shut down. Um, and we had our governor here in Missouri say that the pandemic was over officially as of last week, which is sort of a, a, a funny thing because I, I don't think pandemics listen to proclamations of politicians. And, <laughs> and, and, and that's sort of where I kind of wanted to go because I think all of us are, 
are tired of fearing about a pandemic, and it seems like it's a little calmer right now, thankfully. Um, but it, it's not just random, and it's not because I think they love shooting our arms up with various medications that the CDC has recommended an additional booster for all those over 50, and also for those of us like myself who received the Johnson & Johnson one-dose original vaccine. And really the key thing here is, is two parts. One, uh, like all vaccinations, they can fade over time. Uh, for example, you get your flu shot every year. The flu shot only lasts a few months as far as maximum protection. And so that's why you try to time it so that you get it during the bulk of flu season. Well, uh, based on what we know so far, that's also true of COVID vaccines. They may have some residual. They may keep you from getting a severe disease after that, but we certainly know they, they lose some effectiveness. So there's that. For those of us that did get a booster, and and looking at the statistics, it's a little dismal. I think only something like 30% of Missourians have, have gotten the booster. Um, so friends, if you haven't gotten the booster, it'd be a good idea. But even if you did, it's probably time for another one. And and hopefully, I think the real hope that everybody is, is shooting for is that by this fall, maybe you get combined flu and COVID vaccine, something like that, that takes us through the winter months in the future. Um, something along those lines, I think that, that seems like a, a real possibility. And there's some, some progress on, on vaccines that will last longer. But right now, I, I think the key thing, and it seems a little odd maybe, why do we want a a booster when the numbers are so low. Well, if you've been listening to the news, and it's starting to creep in a little bit more again. There's this variant of Omicron, which was the the COVID variant that came roaring through back in December and January and and caused massive hospitalizations and more deaths and all that horrible stuff. Uh, there's a new variant that's been going around Europe and is reinfecting people and it is now the dominant variant as of last week in the United States. So there's a lot of reason to think the numbers are going to be creeping back up again. And, and worrisomely, if you're someone who hasn't gotten a booster at all, you're probably a year out now from your vaccination, if you've gotten a vaccination at all. And so there's every reason to think that this thing is going to, to have some legs and, and cause some trouble again. And so the best thing we can do if we don't want to go back to masks, we don't want to go back to social distancing, we don't want to go back to all that stuff, is to boost now before it gets too bad. And that way we can try to reduce the spread of this new variant. And whether it's the last variant or not, no one, of course, knows. But but it seems to be coming, and we're not really at a point yet where we can just assume it's going to go away for good if we don't take some precaution. Especially not here in Missouri. And the thing is, you know, there's a lot of chatter you hear from people like, well, they're just going to have us getting boosters forever and ever. Look, the flu shot comes every year and people get a flu shot. I got a flu shot last month. Um, for I think for my first time ever, as an adult at least. Um, and so even if we're at a point where um, the, the COVID vaccination is just a, an annual thing or even a semi-annual thing, like we get our flu shots, um, then let's do that because it's better than... than dying, you know, being separated from our friends and family prematurely and unnecessarily at that. So that, there are reasons for hope. You have you have Paxlovid coming out, which is a pill that is supposed to prevent severe illness and death uh, from our friends at Pfizer. But 
and who knows how many other treatments will come. But um, let's try to protect ourselves, especially medically. Uh, I find the the vaccine skepticism to be rather strange, and in my opinion, less defensible than uh, than debates about uh, government mandates. That makes more sense to me um, because mandates have a way of sticking around. Everything to do with the government has a way of sticking around. But doctors working hard to help us out, um, I don't think we should look askance at that. And it troubles me that there's still so many people out there that are uh, th- that are not trusting the experts and not protecting themselves. So I think it's it's a choice between either government mandates for all sorts of things, lock, lockdowns and and uh, mask mandates and everything, or it's get your vaccination. So I would much prefer to get a vaccination than to be told uh, where to go and how often to go there and that sort of thing. If we want to live normally, let's protect ourselves. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think that's just so to the point. We need to if we want to talk about personal responsibility, let's take some personal responsibility and shut this thing down. Um, I think we need to be able to get to a point where when we get the numbers down, we say, woohoo, let's keep them down rather than woohoo, it's gone. Uh, because it doesn't work that way necessarily. It may never work that way. Just like the flu doesn't, like you said. Um, but certainly as, as new treatments for it and a better understanding of long-term vaccines and, and so on develops, now is not the time to completely let our guard down. It's a time to celebrate where we are, uh, but to do what we can to keep it down. I, I was so struck by last week's column from Dennis. Um, he was reflecting on the death of his friend, Bob Bernstein, who was a victim just a couple weeks ago of COVID. And the interesting, horrifying thing about it is that it sounds like Bob, because like virtually everybody had some comorbidities, some things that would make him vulnerable to it, and and the vast majority of the American population does. Um, He had spent most of the previous two years sheltering in place and doing all the other things that we were supposed to do to be safe, but he ended up needing to go to the hospital for something unrelated, and then to rehab, and he caught COVID at the rehab facility and died. And these words from from Dennis strike me uh, so profoundly about about the situation. He says of his friend Bob that people of his age, John F. Kennedy was killed the day Bob turned 19, sometimes die. The fact that his death was due to this particularly awful disease, which was entirely unnecessary for him and 6,150,000 other people does make it worse. And I'm so struck by what Dennis is saying there because this disease didn't need to be as it is and those number that number is probably actually low. There's a lot of data that we have on excess deaths that suggests the number is maybe double that or more of actual deaths from COVID. Um, and these are unnecessary deaths in so many ways. And um, why are we talking about? It? My prayer is that our listeners are not the next one of those numbers, and we don't have to we don't have to shut down again. We just need to be sensible and careful and do things like get boosters as as recommended. Yeah, I agree. Each one of those people has a name and a face, you know, and and the virus does not care about our political arguments. 
It's just a virus. Um, and so we need to, to think about, okay, um, how do I protect myself? But how do I, how do I protect my loved ones? What, what is my, what is my obligation in charity, in Christian love, uh, to look out for my neighbors? And if we look at it that way, uh, you know, Uncle Sam can say whatever they want. Um, if it's if it's prudent, do it. If it's not, let it go. But if I'm looking at it in terms of what do I owe my neighbor in Christian charity, then that may leave me with a different answer, and it may lead me leave me with a different answer than I would give if we were just talking about my opinions, my political opinions. Um, and let us let us always love as Christ has loved, even at even at a cost to ourselves. I think yes. that's what gets forgotten sometimes in some of these really fierce arguments is, uh, you know, Christ is not just a, a museum piece or a lapel pin that we wear on our shirts. He is the one who came to us and, and gave us a chance at truly living um, because he came to this earth and gave his life for us and reconciled us to the Father. So uh, it's not in service to an ideology. It's not in service to personal gratification. But when we claim the name of Christ, we are saying, you have transformed me. You have changed the way that I look at the world and the way I relate to everyone in the world. And hopefully that can be true for our listeners. You know, nothing is above Christ and above his gospel. So let's think about, again, what we owe to our neighbors uh, in love, in Christ, and then go from there. And then Absolutely. the rest of it will take care of itself, you know? Yeah, that that should be something that we aim for in everything we do. And, and you're so right in this, because we the last thing we want to do is infect somebody else because we're too busy worried about ourselves uh, bring harm to other people. And really, in some sense, that brings us to our little short transitional topic we wanted to spend some time on, which is the matter of spiritual disciplines. It's not something that we, we often like to talk about. Uh, we don't like being disciplined. We don't like being confined. Uh, we're all about freedom. And Christian freedom is indeed freedom, but it's a different kind of freedom. And spiritual disciplines help us to be more focused on what God calls us to do. And maybe you'd like to share a little bit about that. The whole area of what they call ascetical theology or, or spiritual disciplines, the theology of spiritual disciplines, is, is removing from ourselves good things oftentimes that uh, otherwise could compete with our attention that should be focused on our Lord. Um, and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So um, we enter into these things not uh, because any of the things that we might give up are bad, necessarily, um, but we enter into these things so that we uh, don't cling so tightly to the things of earth that we forget about the things of heaven. Uh, so there was always there's always a connection between um, between bodily pleasure or or the enjoyment of earthly pleasures and um, and other sins that could trouble the conscience, so worse 
worse things than sins of pride and uh, sins sins of bodily pleasure could lead to other sins for us. So to purge ourselves of the things that kind of hold us back. Yeah, and, and if we really do that, um, it, it helps us to refocus on loving both God and neighbor, the two greatest commandments, right? Because on the one hand, uh, when we when we withhold things from ourselves, it starts just making us think more about our good God and, and how he's given those things to us. And then also what he calls us to do, um, that we realize, like you said, proportion and that that not necessarily everything is always beneficial. This is a, a refrain that Paul addresses several times in 1 Corinthians. Um, and as you were talking, it reminded me of 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and following, where where Paul says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please many, excuse me, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And and really, as we do spiritual disciplines, it's helping us to to work on these things because it's reorienting us away from ourselves. Like you said, it's not our show. And when we think about whose show it is, we're reminded, one, we should be doing everything to God's glory. And in, in that, our goal should be to be a light to the people around us rather than giving offense to the people around us. The cross is going to scandalize people. Following Jesus is going to be offensive to some people, a lot of people. But the key thing is not to be offensive because we're looking out for ourselves and what we want. And it's so easy to become self-absorbed. It is good to have seasons like this that they can be used to to shake us from that and to focus on what really matters. And uh, we're coming to the end of Lent, but of course, if you haven't made this a practice for yourself, it's not a bad time just to say after Easter, you know, after celebrating, you can practice spiritual disciplines. There's all sorts of spiritual disciplines any time of year. Um, to get started thinking about how we do everything to the glory of God. And of course, during e- the Easter season, part of glorifying God is just to be celebratory. We should be celebrating because the King has risen. And and what a wonderful thing that is, that we have that hope um, that, that truly centers us in everything and affects everything we do, whether it's dealing with how we look at medical situations like we were talking about earlier. Even things like, I think, baseball just are so much better because while we enjoy the game like we started out talking about today, I enjoy an awful lot watching players like Albert and Wayno who are are vocal about their faith and use even something just joyful and in some sense frivolous like a sporting event to to point to spiritual things and to bring joy to people and to bring hope to people. And each of us have opportunities to do that. And I hope, and I know you hope too, comrade, that all of our listeners can can recognize the ways God's gifted them to to share share their hope and to to point people to Jesus this week. Um, something that we all get to do, and what a wonderful thing! Yeah, it's Easter is going to be such a joyful time. Again, we're going toward the time when we focus on the resurrection the very heart of our faith. And uh, yeah, what a great time. And and if we didn't have the resurrection, then we wouldn't be Christians. That's an important thing to say. So we, we, we walk in the desert with Jesus during Lent, and then we celebrate his resurrection from the dead when he finally declared victory over death. We've been talking a little bit about death during this show. And 
it's always there. It's not leaving. And, and what's our hope? The resurrected Lord and our resurrection in turn. So, Amen. Well, before we close today, we do need to mention our sponsor of the show, which is Biblical.com. If you are continuing to be addicted to, to Wordle and the other Word-A-Day clones that are out there, and you have not yet tried Biblical, or you're like my comrade Jason, who who has decided to boycott it. He didn't boycott, after all, the the Olympic Games in China, despite the huge human rights abuses and so on, but he boycotts a Biblical word game, you know... Uh, I'll just leave that right there. But to our dear listeners, you should not boycott biblical.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-C-L-E.com from Faith Tree, where you can play a word-a-day game just like what you're familiar with with Wordle, except each word comes from the English Bible, and so you can get to know the Bible a little bit better as you play each day. And so I hope you'll check it out. It's fun, and I love to hear how you do at it. So check out biblical.com. I was so mad after that first word that I just, I remain angry. My anger is undimmed. Yeah, you shouldn't so, go to bed with your anger. You know, never let the sun set on your anger. Yeah, you're right. You're going to have to keep preaching that to me because I was, ooh, well, I was grumpy about that. I'm still grumpy about it. Well, hopefully by next episode, we can report that, that Jason has decided to repent and come and play the biblical word a day game. But, you know, who knows? Uh, well once again we thank you for joining us today on zippy the wonder snail remember if you haven't already subscribe to zippy on your favorite podcasting service we're on all the major podcasting services and you will never miss an episode if you subscribe so do subscribe and check out our archive of past episodes if you've missed them at zippythewondersnail.com. We can't wait to be with you once again as we journey through news and culture that matter to you two Christian guys my comrade Jason and myself it's always great to be with you and we will see you here next time